uh, before we read scripture today, uh, I want to ask your permission to say some things today that might be jarring for some of you. Um, I'm going to try to poke at some, some situational issues and topics that for some of you might be like, hey, I don't know if we should be talking about that in church. We're going to talk about it in church today. Um, if I use some words today that, like, depending on your background, you think, like, ah, oh, that probably shouldn't be said in church, please know my heart that I'm not doing it to be crass, but I just need to say some of the things that need to be said. Is that all right with everybody? Some of you are like, what are we talking about today? Um, we'll get there. Uh, as well, this illustration I'm about to show you, I have borrowed from a very good pastor friend of mine by the name of Kevin Gerald, and uh, he did this illustration at a, a leadership conference that I was at about feeding your soul, and as I was watching, we're not going to be talking about our soul today, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit today, but as I saw this illustration played out, I was like, man, this is going to be such a great illustration for where I want to have a conversation about the Holy Spirit, so that's what we're uh, using this for today, and uh, I'll explain all of this in just a moment, but we're going to read a lot of scripture, so hopefully you have your Bibles and your notebooks ready to go, and uh, y'all ready to go? All right, and uh, always feel free to preach back at the preacher, it's totally good. Right? And uh, here's what I'm realizing. If I say something that it like, it pokes you, say amen. That's the best place to say it. Not because you agree with me, but more like ouch. All right? So, but you say ouch too. Ouch. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 22 says this. This is Paul the uh, apostle writing. Church of Galatia, he says this. I say then, walk by the Spirit. Every shout spirit. spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Every shout flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other, so that you do not do what you want, but if you're led by the spirit, you, will, you are not under the law. Now, we'll pause for just a second. Uh, the word that's used here for flesh is a word in the Greek, sarks, and this is important for us because it helps us understand that Paul is talking about more than just our physical flesh, Okay? He's talking about a different part of who we are, and that is the spirit of man or the spirit of flesh or our sin nature, which is represented by the water here, our spirit. Y'all with me? And that we are are dead because of sin, and the the wages of sin is death, Paul would tell us in Romans. And so we've we've got this internalized battle that we're going through. Now, this is a very rudimentary way to explain the totality of who we are as, as humans. But I'm using this just to kind of give us some imagery. Is that all right today? So I'm trying to take a big complex idea and distill it down a little bit. We'll get, we'll get more to this spirit, but I, I need us to understand that about the flesh, that we're not talking about my physical being. Although this battle that we're talking about today, spirit and flesh, plays itself out in and through our body. Y'all with me? Okay. You are led of the Spirit, Paul says. You're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and and anything similar except, like, for those of us who are like, well, he didn't name this, Paul's like, anything similar. (laughs) You know the loophole. Well, that's not in the Bible. Anything similar. (laughs) I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, every shall fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. 
Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So today as we continue on in our series, Floodgates, I want to speak to you from the subject, Two Spirits and Some Fruit. It's the title of my message today, Two Spirits and Some Fruit, as we look at what happens when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, powerful, it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. Speak to us now. Our hearts are ready to receive your word. Our minds are open. God, I pray that through what it is that we've, we work through today, that we will leave different, better than how we came in today. So we love you. We submit to your word today. I pray that it molds us and shapes each and every single one of us. Move me out of the way, God. We don't need Jason's voice. We need your voice. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody shouted? Amen. And everybody shouted? Amen. Amen. All right, so inside this jar, we've got a couple different things going on. Uh, the weights mean nothing. It's just we had a floating issue. Um, and so the water represents our spirit of, the, the, the spirit of, of man, our, our sin spirit. This little piece right here is what we could understand as our, our soul. It's a package deal. The, the Old Testament would tell us, like, uh, guard your heart in Proverbs with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Maybe you've heard that before. And so heart, soul, this little package, it, 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 it encompasses our mind, our will, and our emotions. A better way to like, re, like remember is mew. I will only do that once, okay? Mew, twice. <laughs> and so what we need to understand is that we've got to pay attention to our, our soul for sure, which is our mind, our will, our emotions, and even more importantly, it's, it's part of the area that, that governs us. But more importantly is the spirit that is within us has massive implications on this. So when the spirit of my flesh, the spirit of man is working in my life, when I'm absent of the Holy Spirit working at in me, Paul said there, there's some things that come out of your life that plays themselves out in your body. Y'all tracking with me? So this is why it's vital that something else takes place in us, and that is what we call baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Then our lives become this beautiful little lava lamp. Now, we're going to let this settle in. Doesn't that look beautiful? Come on, somebody. We need a good old-fashioned dose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, here's the thing about it. As many of us have what I would call possessive theology when it comes to the issue of the Holy Spirit. And we have to think about it differently because the Holy Spirit doesn't come in and possess you. Y'all tracking with me? He comes in and he starts to work in you in continual submission to the gift of the Holy Spirit that's in our life. We think that, oh, the Holy Spirit, I say, Holy Spirit, come into me. And then he possesses me. But we're then disillusioned when all of a sudden I'm making decisions willfully to do something that's against the Holy Spirit. Then we're frustrated because we're like, wait, wasn't I supposed to just do things? Paul says, no. You're going to walk things out because we've got this battle. And so there's pieces of me that the Holy Spirit's still trying to get into. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's areas of our lives, like we talked about last week, where we're like, I like the Holy Spirit here, here, and here, but I don't like the Holy Spirit here. And so this is the battle that's going on. I, for maybe even clearer terms, the Spirit inside of us is the governing force in our lives. We're being led by the flesh or we're being led by the Spirit. In the third century, a monastic aesthetic known as Jerome 
attempted to remove himself from the ever-pressing temptations of the world by retreating into the desert. Many of these people are known as the Desert Fathers. In doing this, he would confess this. Listen to his statement. He says, how, oh, how often I imagined that I was in the midst of the pleasures of Rome when I was stationed in the desert, in that solitary wasteland which is so burned up by the heat of the sun that it provides a dreadful habitation for the monks. I, who because of the fear of hell had condemned myself to such a hell and who had nothing but scorpions and wild animals for company. While he was there, he would say, often I thought that I was dancing in a chorus with girls. My face was pale from fasting, but my mind burned with passionate desires within my freezing body. And the fires of sex seethed even even though the flesh had already died in me as a man. What Jerome is attempting to articulate is the very real truth that no matter where we find ourselves, the spirit of man, our flesh, is always there to give us company. The battle between these two spirits, flesh and the spirit of God, is constantly raging within us. One author put it like this, the word flesh in Paul's vocabulary cannot be reduced to the material or physical dimension of the human person body. It is a far more encompassing term involving the mind, the will, the emotions, as well as the physical body. According to R. Jewett, the flesh was Paul's term for everything aside from God in which one placed his final trust. The point is this, hear this today, you and I cannot escape you and I. You ever tried to do that before? Let me, let, me, let me say it this way. There's not enough desert for you and I to run into to escape you and I. There's not another state that you can run to in order to escape you and I. You can't run from yourself. We can't run from it because the, the battle's right there. Maybe, maybe you've done that. Maybe you're in here today and you fled one place to get to another place thinking my problems are going to go away. And then all of a sudden you saw that the problems crept back up again. Why? Because you are where you are always at. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's go. I've been there before. And it happens many times. I'm like, oh, dang it. There's Jason again. Oh, Jason's in that argument again. See, this will change the dynamic that is at work in our lives if we would understand this. No amount of desert, no amount of distance, no amount of solitude or escape will assuage the constant and unrelenting pressure and violence of our flesh. That's the bad news. The good news is that we as professing believers, born again in and through Christ, have been given an antidote to the spirit of our flesh, which is the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. And this is Paul's discourse. And then he says there's fruit. There's fruit. It's born in our lives. So in Galatians 5, 16 through to 22, he says, hey, listen, there's some things that are going to manufacture themselves in our life. If you are living according to the flesh, that that spirit that's in you, but there's some things that are going to be manifest in your life, produced by the Holy Spirit in your life, if you are living according to the spirit. So you've either got works of the flesh hanging out in your life, or you've got some fruit that's popping off in your life. And I don't know about you, but I want to, I want, I want to, I want to be fruity. That's what I was about to say. It doesn't go well. I want fruit in my life. It's one of those sentences that's going really fast. (laughs) So listen to what the author of the Bible exposition commentary says. 
He says this, it's important that we distinguish the gifts of the Spirit, which is salvation, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Acts chapter 11, verse 17, and the gifts of the Spirit, which have to do with service, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, from the graces of the Spirit, which relate to Christian character. Then listen to what he goes on to write. He says, it is unfortunate that an overemphasis on gifts has led some Christians to neglect the graces of the Spirit. Building Christian character must take precedence over displaying special abilities. So here's what's happened to the church. You got a bunch of people running around displaying special abilities, but they are still angry, bitter, frustrated, popping off at the mouth people that no one wants to be around. Y'all tracking with me? You ever met the person they're so good at praying out loud and they're so bad when you're talking to them? That's why Paul would say, hey, listen, in, in 1 Corinthians, you can have all these gifts. You can, you, can, you can speak in tongues and you can give and you can do all these things, but if you don't have love, what you're saying is you're great at the gifts, yeah. Yeah. but your character's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I can pray in tongues all day long, and I can still be a jerk to my wife. Right. Right. What's better, the gift or the fruit? Come on. Come on. Are, we, are we talking to anybody in church today? I told you, we're, we're going to press in on this issue, okay? So let's make sure we're very clear on this, though. When I say our flesh, I'm not talking about our physical body. Our body's made of flesh, but that's not the flesh that Paul's dealing with. So let's see, it. Let's see a couple other sections of Scripture that help us understand this and see where this division's happening. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 to 24. Is it right if we study our Bible today? It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. James chapter 2, verse 26, on a discourse between uh, works, he says this, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So you can see this distinguishing that is taking place as, as we look at these things. But at the end of the day, we need to see ourselves as a holistic person. All right? But we're using this to kind of help us have a perspective on things so we can see how this fleshes out to give us some handles. All right? Now, in his book, Dallas Willard writes this, in Renovation of the Heart, he says, spiritual formation is the process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it takes on the character of the inner being of Jesus. He then goes on to write, the result is that the outer life of the individual increasingly becomes a natural expression of the inner reality of Jesus and his teachings. Doing what he said and did increasingly becomes a part of who we are are. All that to say that there's two forces at work in our lives for those of us who would profess to be followers of Jesus. Now, I need to be really clear on something. As a teacher of the Bible, I have to make sure that I say this today. If we have not said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not living inside of us. You can be in the presence, and some of us even here today, and I, I don't say that exclusionary, but I have to because I know that our church is full of people who are kicking the tires on faith, and I love it. I want you here every single weekend. But this is one of those messages where you're going to see things, and you're like, okay, how do I understand this? The Holy Spirit lives inside of us as we profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He infills us upon us, acknowledging that we want the Holy Spirit to work in our life. That's a, that's a theological and doctrinal situation that we have to deal with. But you can be around, have you been around somebody that you know is a follower of Jesus? And man, you can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because fruit is popping off. Yeah. 
but the Holy Spirit's not the regulating source in your, your life, potentially. So Paul gives us a big discourse on this. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. So my just opinion, here's what Scripture says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Come on, somebody. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did it. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement could be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the There's a lot of flesh talking here. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset, I hope this piece of scripture right here, for those of us who may be kicking the tires on faith, you're going to hear how good Jesus is in this. So the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it's unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In other words, that you haven't accepted Jesus yet. Now, if Christ lives in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And then I love this part, just to double down, Paul's like, hey, and listen, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. In other words, you have a new life in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So there's a difference between doing fruit things and dead things. And that's the battle in our lives. And come on, how many of us have been there? Like, I'm there too. I, I constantly vacillate between dead things and fruit things. It's the battle. And I'm not trying to balance them. <laughs> right? I'm not trying to be like a little bit of dead and a little bit of fruit. <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is, I mean, I want to lean into the Spirit. But how many of you know there's things inside of us that pull me back into my flesh? So that's why possessive theology is not good because we think that, oh, like once I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't want anything else but the Spirit. (laughs) Actually, let's be very honest about it. Many times when the Spirit's working in us, our flesh is pushing even harder. Am I talking to anybody in church today? So the Spirit, one theologian would say, is the supreme energizing and regulative force in our lives. So we've got to understand, though, that the field that this battle, this internal battle, the field that it's played out on is the, is the body. We see it in the body. Does that make sense to everybody? We see the works of it played out in the body. And that's a really important truth for us to grab a hold of. This is what Paul would say in Galatians 2.20. Is it right if we study our Bible a little more? I have been crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As Dallas Willard would write again, he says, our bodies are not just physical systems, but they are inhabited by the real presence of Christ. So this brings us back to our main section of Scripture today, Galatians chapter 5, 16 through to 22. Paul writes, That as this battle ensues, there will either be works that are manufactured by our flesh or there will be fruits that are manifested by the Spirit. Okay? Now, there's another verse that's really vital to this conversation. It's found in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 9, and this is what Paul writes. He says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Pause. Many of, have, have, many of us have heard this in a giving message. It's not about money. Come on. Now, there's some transferable principles, but this scripture is not about money. How do we know that? Because it tells us it's not about money. It's just good Bible study right there. What's he talking about? So, the, so God is not mocked for whatever a person sows, you will also reap. Look it. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will also reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we do not give up. How do we not give up? Because we have a spirit of perseverance. Why? Because the Holy Spirit enables us to have self-control and faithfulness. So it's this spiritual system that I enter into where I'm growing and becoming and growing and becoming. Why? Because I'm sowing to the Spirit. So what does it look like? Y'all remember when, for those of us who said yes to Jesus, you remember the first three and a half weeks? It was awesome, wasn't it? Do you remember it? You loved every worship song? Right? Now, <laughs> like, eh, I don't know if that was my jam, right? Remember what the first three and a half weeks of saying yes to Jesus, everything was awesome? You remember? You just on cloud nine, every corner, Jesus was moving. You look at the pizza, and there's a sign. Everything you read in the Bible was great. Every prayer felt awesome. You had all the moments, baptism, and you're all that. You're, that was the first three and a half weeks, week four. You're like, nah, what'd I do? <laughs> and so what happens is all of a sudden you feel that you get out of the honeymoon period and you start to feel the battle start to rage, the decision between am I going to sow to the flesh or am I going to sow to the Spirit? So I'm filled with the Holy Spirit when I say yes to Jesus, but then there's this sowing and reaping principle. And I want you to see how this works. I put a lot of dye in here, so I messed up my illustration. But what happens is when we start sowing to the, to my flesh, I start to dilute what was initially given. Y'all see what I'm talking about? So what was once strong in me has now become weakened. It's not that the spirit, it's not that the spirit is weaker than the flesh. It's because I'm reaping where I've sown. See the difference? I'll be like, well, what's that? Is the flesh stronger than No, God is powerful. But you will produce where you reap to. And here's the other thing that I want us to be aware of. What's really interesting about this is that what I'm sowing to in my life, those around me will reap of as well. But she did. The overflow of my life, the works of either the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit, my wife's going to feel it. My kids are going to feel it. Oh, we've had fleshy days in my house. Come on, can I get a witness in church today? Maybe this is a new way to do it. We were like, hey guys, sorry, that was a fleshy day. Can we all just agree? Fleshy day, right? But we've had some fruit days in my house as well. Where it's like, oh, that was some fruit. Oh, we had some joy in the house today. Man, we had some peace in the house today. We had some love happening in the house today. All right, we had some dissension happening in the house today. Y'all see what I'm talking about? 
But because where you sow, you, you'll reap of it. That's what, that's what Paul is trying to help us understand. Now, where, how, how does this happen? Watch this. Let's just take it a little bit further. James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Listen to what James writes. Concerning desires and, and this, once again, sowing and reaping thing, he says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by the devil. Isn't it awesome? We love to blame the devil. Don't we? Who made you do it? The devil. Remember Bobby Boucher's mom? <laughs> the devil? No, it wasn't the devil. The devil's been defeated. We clap now. But the question is, has our flesh been submitted? The devil doesn't have power. That's why you stand. Resist the devil and what? He'll flee from you. Oh, but man, our flesh is so much stronger. Why? Because the flesh doesn't flee from you. That's what the desert fathers told us. My flesh doesn't flee. I'm in the desert with scorpions and wolves and flesh. And after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So what we're doing in these beginning, this is just my intro. Um, so we've got points to come. <laughs> what I'm trying to do is set a platform for us to stand on with this. I want us to see the biblical truth before we get to the practical measures here. So are, are you all tracking with me still? Okay. And let's be very clear about this. We feel the readiness in very specific parts of our body. This is very important to understand because if we come to the conclusion, and many have had, so the Desert Fathers, these aesthetics as they're known, they actually came to a theological conclusion that their body was inherently evil. The body's not evil, it's, it's neutral ground. It's what is in us that's directing that body to do some things. Y'all with me? So in his book, Dallas Wood, Renovation of the Heart, he said that you've got inklings or your body stands at readiness to be directed or told what to do by the Spirit living in you. Right. And he's very specific. He says, your body, your eyes are at readiness. Your mind is at readiness. Your ears are at readiness. Your groin is at readiness. That's what he says. So the Desert Fathers used to be known for walking around and whipping their backs to mortify their body, to mortify their flesh. But you can't whip your spirit. Because how many of you know, your body, did, your body just does what it's told to do. Because right. it get real weird if I started walking, and I'm like, guys, I'm not doing this. <laughs> so he talks about the works of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit. And I want to say this, where we invest you will receive a return on that investment. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And it's interesting that the world wants all the love and none of the one who is love. And so we, we want joy without the joy giver. So we build things and invent things to manufacture joy all the while finding ourselves in destructive patterns. We want peace. We want world peace without the one who made the world. 
Come on. And so what happens is that if you don't, if we can't find the real, we'll go to artificial. And that's what's happening in our postmodern world right now is that we believe that we are the purveyors of these things. So we're trying to spin our wheels, trying to create all these things. Can, you, can I just tell you right now, we cannot manufacture what is spirit-given. You only can enjoy the fruit of what the spirit gives. Happiness is not joy. It's manufactured. Right? Talked about this before, but like, how many of you know if we said everybody's getting a Tesla after this service? There'd be some happiness in the house. Even if you don't like Teslas, be like, it's a free car. But how many of you know, if as you're driving out, Pastor Howie takes his Tesla and runs it into your Tesla. How many of you know, there's no more happiness? Why? Because it's situational, but joy. Joy is a fruit that's only been birthed by the Spirit, so joy stays even when the situation changes. Joy is the thing that makes it when you look at a person who's going through the worst situation on the planet, you're like, how are you still stable? It's because I got joy that's not in my feelings. It's got joy that's not on behalf of something else. I got joy that's a product of fruit. That's how it stations differently. I don't want to be happy. I want to be joy-filled. And I want some happiness to go with it. (laughs) So, what do we do with all this? What's hard about a message like this is that any attempt to make it like a practical step-by-step practice almost defeats the purpose of a message like this. That's the tricky part. So I say all this stuff that's supernatural in nature through the Holy Spirit and then do this. It's like, ah, that doesn't work. Because all of us run around trying to figure out how I produce fruit. And it's like, you can't. But I think we could have a conversation about some things that are really important for us to understand. Some truths that are really important for us to grab a hold of that I think will help in this, in this journey of having our lives submitted more and more to the Holy Spirit. Come on, anybody in the house say want some good old-fashioned Holy Spirit working in their life? As I know I do. How many of you say you need the Holy Spirit working in your life now? All right, cool. So, a couple truths. Need your help today. Every shot number one? Here's the first one we need to grab a hold of. We must stir up what is already there. We must stir up what is already there. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. This is Paul writing to young Timothy. He was a leader uh, for, all, for much of what we know within the Ephesian church. He was a young leader. He had a lot of stress, a lot of things going on. He was put in charge of something that got wild and out. He's trying to figure out how to help these people navigate their faith, new followers to Jesus. Like it was a big, it was a big thing for him. And so Paul's encouraging him, and this is what he says. He says, therefore, I remind you to rekindle. Every shall rekindle? rekindle. This word that's used for rekindle in the Greek is a word that helps us understand more than just rekindle, but it's talking about stirring up, moving, shifting things around so it comes back to life. So he says, therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God, listen to the words, that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, we know that he's talking about the Holy Spirit because of the next sentence, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound judgment. So he's saying, hey, listen, Timothy, you're not bad. You haven't done anything wrong. 
but somewhere along the way, you allowed a spirit of fear to enter into you for whatever reason. It got inside of you. And I need to remind you to stir up the gift that is in you through the laying on my hand so that that spirit of fear will be ejected in Jesus' name and that the Holy Spirit would take up greater residence and come alive in you. Here's the deal. Some of you just shake it up. Some of you need to walk out of this building today just as you leave the doors. Just, just. Come on, somebody, you gotta remind yourself what's in you. Some of you walking at work, just, and, and it could get weird, but it might be fun. Just walk in, just. <laughs> right? Come on, moms, come on, dads, you get home from work, you sit in the car, take a deep breath. Just, Let's go to war. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And it's not that the Spirit left you. You just left him alone. You start focusing all these other things. And we know because Paul's saying to Timothy, listen, you let this other thing inside of you. Maybe some of us know this. this maybe this is a very real issue as we talk about fear. I think fear is actually one of the greatest issues that's gripping this generation right now. I've met a lot of fearful people, and trust me, myself, I stare fear, fear down every single day. Um, I'll be candid, I'll be vulnerable and candid with you today. Um, I have a Christian counselor, and uh, she's part of kind of like my personal board. Make sure that I'm trying to just focus on things. I got pastors in my life, peers in my life, so on and so forth. So. Because of my background in life and where I came from, one of my greatest fears is the bottom's going to fall out. Every corner I turn, I've said it before, Erica's like, where did that come from? I was like, when's it all going to fall apart? Maybe you've been there before. And then, like, if it really gets trapped in you, you, like, around every corner. And every relationship you're in. And every situation you're in. When's, when's the bottom going to fall out? When, when is this going to get destroyed? When is all the work that we've done just going to poof, burn? When am I going to kids go, when are they going to go sideways? When's this thing going to get jacked up? That's my issue. If I can be vulnerable with you today. So guess what? When, when, when Paul's speaking to Timothy, I listen to Paul like a father in my life. Because I get, I get what Timothy was going through. I get that spirit of fear. And then that, that fear starts to create some anxiety and sadness. Now, just so we're very clear, I'm not talking about neurological stuff here. I'm not talking about things where there is a greater issue at work and those things. So I'm not minimizing health care and so on and so forth. That's a very real thing. I'm talking about situational anxiety and fear that creeps in. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's produced in the context of, of, of circumstances. I'm talking about the type of fear that creeps up in you when it's been an hour past your teen's curfew and they haven't called you yet. I'm talking about the spirit of fear that finds its way in when the doctor walks in and his or her face looks very different this time. When that bill is bigger than you thought it was going to be. And this might wreck us. When the first words on the other line, and I've heard these, there's been an accident. When the pressure is mounting because of the responsibility in your shoulders and you don't want it anymore. 
We're like me when it feels like the bottom's going to fall out. They're going to leave you. It's all going to burn up. Can we talk real in church today? And so it causes anxiety, stress, sadness, and you want to mentally retreat. And this is what Paul says. He doesn't say, hey, pull up your big boy pants. Sometimes we wish that scripture was in there. But that's not what Paul says. Come on, he doesn't say, he doesn't say pull up your, your big boy pants. Toughen up. Come on, man, toughen up. Come on, independent woman, toughen up. Power through it. Push through. Grit it out. He doesn't say any of that to Timothy. What does he say? He says, stir it up. Stir it up. Come on, we can know what's in you. That moment when you felt the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, you got to stir that up. You don't put on your big boy pants. You don't push through it. You don't white knuckle it. You don't grit it. You don't get aggressive. You stir it up. You say, Holy Spirit, come in me again. I need a fresh anointing. Stir it up. Stir it up. You got to worship your way through it. You got to pray your way through it. You got to read your way through it. You got to stir it up. And I want to I remind some of us today, when you stir it up, you may not feel it. Oh, there's so many times where I'm walking into the office, just... <sighs> and I don't feel it. I don't feel happier. I don't feel stronger, but it's... <sighs> walking to meetings. Remember that alien from Men in Black? <laughs> That's what I just felt. This is a, a sucker water. Yeah, exactly. Golly. <laughs> That's when people go like, what's in your mind? I mean, someone shout, stir it up. We got to stir up what's in there. He's in there. Just stir it up. Move that around. Start up. Number two, every shot. Number two. Here's the second thing. We must consider what we are sowing. So we go back to Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, he will reap. So we've got, we've got to intentionally pay attention to what it is that we're sowing. This is especially seen in what it is that we intake into our lives. This is where it gets really, really physical. I got to be careful um, with the music I listen to. Now, for some of you who are like, oh, here we go. It's going to get all brutish and legalistic. No, no, no. It's not about that. Because you can, you can decide to listen to what you want to listen to, and you're not going to hell for it. I just would ask, like Paul would ask in Corinthians, is it beneficial? Okay? And that doesn't mean I exclude everything from my life when it comes to these things. So, a couple weekends ago, Eric and I got home, Sabbath. We had worship music on. How many of you have heard of William Augusto? Yeah. <laughs> Four or five of you, okay. <laughs> if you guys want a little, just a, like worship hack, um, William Augusto is like having our pads player in your house with you at all times. Yes. Yes. It's your portable pads player. 
So we put it on, and it's just so like, ah. Oh. And so we had that on, and we had some worship music from a different team on, and so music was going and everything. I, was, I told Eric, I was I'm like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go work out. We have a small little gym in our, in our basement. So I went downstairs to work out, and I have a typical, I have a workout list that I put together. And guys, that music is something fierce sometimes. <laughs> so, but I'd been sitting in this all day long, and I kid you not, I walked in there, I was moving to my, my workout playlist, and this is Saturday, getting ready for Sunday, and I just felt the Holy Spirit in me say, not today. Now, that was not ever, but not today. Because I didn't realize what was needing to be worked on me in that moment. And so I heated it, and I was like, okay. And I put worship music on. Listen, bench pressing to worship music is difficult. <laughs> Iron wind, come and do it again. <laughs> Not, there's not a bunch there. Some of you might be able to, like, for me, I need that extra push, right? <laughs> that was a struggle bus. Yeah. But I heated it. And that's all we can do is heat it. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because as I heat it, I'm sowing yeah. to the Spirit. Yeah. Right. I could have sown to my flesh that day. Yeah. Did what I wanted to do. Right. That's really what it comes down to. Right. Just do what I want to do. Yeah. And that was a moment where I was like, nah, Spirit, I'm good. Right? Me and a little Post Malone, we're going to get our work on. It's going to be awesome. So you've got to consider where you're sowing. Why? Listen to what Timothy George would say in his commentary on Galatians. He says this, one of the greatest dangers in the Christian life is complacency. The temptation to imagine oneself invulnerable and hence impervious to the allurement of the flesh. Yet Paul's words were addressed to the entire believing community. No Christians are so spiritually strong or mature that they need not heed his warning. But neither are any so weak or vacillating that they cannot be free from the tyranny of the flesh through the power of the Spirit. So you, we can't get complacent. We've got to listen to those things. Does that mean that I haven't listened to other things working out? Of course I have. But I'm paying attention, and I don't do it all the time. And a lot of time, I'm like, God, you've got to renew my mind after that song. So <laughs> can I get an amen in church today? <laughs> number three. Every shot number three. Last one. Here's the third one. We land the plane. We must decide to receive what it is that we do not have. We must decide to receive what it is that we do not have. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples, and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what were you baptized? He asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is in Jesus. So there's this little bit of nod where not everything had happened. Jesus hadn't done what he had done yet. So Paul's going like, hey, listen, you guys got to reframe this. And when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all. 
Now, there's a lot here, I know. Some of you are like, oh, are we going to get into all this? We're just getting into one part today, and that is this, is that some of us in this room today must decide to receive what we do not have. And many of us have not yet said yes to Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus, we say, Holy Spirit, come in. But for some of us, we gave our life to Jesus without ever really asking the Holy Spirit to come in and begin his work. So here's what I'm going to do. A lot of us think that this has to have some crazy fanfare and a bunch of wild stuff because we came from like a particular background or we've seen things on TV or social media. That's not what it is. The Holy Spirit's not like two turnarounds and a clap and he shows up. I cracked these jokes to kind of break the tension on it because I've been wounded in the past as well. It's really simple. That's why, we, that's why we're tackling the Holy Spirit this way. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask everybody just to bow our head, close our eyes for a second. I want to talk to the first group of people. You say, Jason, I need the Holy Spirit. I haven't asked the Holy Spirit to come and live in me. And I want him, not need, I want him to come into my life and live in me. And if that's you today, no one looking around, this isn't meant to embarrass, this is actually one of the most bold things that we do, one of the most important things we do. Would you just lift both hands to heaven? Because I'm just going to pray a prayer over us right now. If you're saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to come and do your work in my life. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray for all of us with our hands lifted to you. We ask that you would fill us right now in Jesus' name. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would begin to permeate permeate every part of who we are. That fruit would begin to be born in our lives right now as we say yes to you. For those of you with your hands lifted today, would you just repeat this after me? Everybody say, Holy Spirit, come live in me. Do your work in my life. In Jesus' name. second group of people. That's it. That's all it is. And now we sow to the Spirit or sow to the flesh. With every head bowed and every eye closed, second group of people. Maybe today you would say, man, I need Jesus. I need to say yes to Jesus. And then from that, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in me. If that's you today, we're going to pray a prayer all together today. No one looking around. But all of us repeating this prayer after me today so we don't leave anybody out. But if you would say, man, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus. I need a new life, a new start in Christ. Make this your prayer today. Come on, as loud as you can, would you repeat these words after me? Everybody say, Jesus. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Come on, as loud as you can. Save me. Change me. Make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name.